talk about trusting your father. Now, uh, uh, jo- Josh and the worship team so- did such a great job. But uh, he, even as he was praying, he was talking about this trust of the father, which is not always easy because of some of the relationships we've had in life. Here's the fact for all of us. Every child of God is a learner. There are no experts in the kingdom of God. I am learning daily what it means to trust the Father, and so are you, right? No experts in the kingdom of God. Don't you like that? Because if there were experts, they'd be the know-it-alls. And we all, none of us like the know-it-alls in class, do we? And so we're all children. We're all learning to trust God. Now, I'm a dad, and one of the favorite things that Shelly and I have enjoyed over the years is watching our kids learn. We love watching them learn. And they usually learn at some point in time when it's a process where we've challenged them and they've made some steps and they've learned. But I remember my dad changed a lot when I was growing up. I remember when I was really young, my dad knew everything. He knew everything. It was incredible. Then something happened to him. When I became a teenager, he only knew some things, (laughs) barely those. And then he changed again. When I became an adult, I realized... He knew a lot more than I thought he knew. He knew he was quite wise. My dad changed three times in in my lifetime. And we all know that that's sometimes the way we view life and how change happens even with our parents. I like what, there's this great poet in New Brunswick in the province I grew up in. He's dead now. His name was Alden Nolan. And he said this, the day the child realized that all adults are imperfect, he becomes an adolescent. The day he forgives them, he becomes an adult. Isn't that neat? It's talking about the maturity that comes. You know, there comes a point in all of our lives where we realize our parents are imperfect. Is it not true? There's a moment where maybe even the people in life who are supposed to care for us let us down in life. But we become adults at that point where we can forgive. Where we can forgive. See, the the difficulty with trusting our Heavenly Father is often connected to our relationship with maybe a father or maybe not even a relationship with a father here on earth. See, often we import an imperfect understanding or we transfer that expectation of being let down and disappointed from that relationship with our earthly father to that relationship with our heavenly father. That's why Jesus continually in the Gospels talks about the foundation of the relationship with your father in heaven being trust. Some people find it easier to trust than others, do we not? Some people it's very difficult because life has shaped them that way. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is preaching a sermon. And it's probably the most famous one in all of history. And he, there, he's gathered on the side of a hill and he's talking to this group of people. And he's talking about the peace of God and, and the presence of God. But he makes a statement that stands out and maybe even bothers you a little bit. He says this. That is why I tell you in verse 25 of chapter 6, I tell you not to worry. Okay, Jesus, so don't worry, right? Have you ever tried to stop worrying? It's not a very effective strategy. It's kind of like going on a diet. Like I'd love to write a book, a new diet book for everybody. It's called Just Don't Think About Food. How's that work, right? You wake up in the morning, breakfast comes out. It's your eggs over easy if you like them that way. A little bit of toast, maybe hash browns, you know, bacon, of course. Everything's better with, right, right, guys? Everything's better with bacon. And, and, and you eat this meal, it's put in front of you, or you look at this meal in front of you, and you just say, I'm just not going to think about food. I mean, how would that do? Nobody would buy a book like that. 
because they know that type of strategy is impossible. So how do you learn to trust the Father in heaven? It's not by not worrying, but it's by learning how to trust the Father, how to trust God. Last spring, I went on a trip to Israel, and it was absolutely fascinating. I went with a New Testament scholar, and I went with a, a pastor who had been there multiple times. And I learned so much. We concentrated our study around the region where Jesus lived and taught this actual sermon. And I learned a lot about specifically four different cities in that area and the types of people that would have come there and the types of people that would have been sitting on the side of a hill when Jesus was preaching this sermon. So I thought, I'd take you to the Sea of Galilee. Can you all imagine right now, can you smell the Sea of Galilee? You know, the beautiful wind that comes off that, that, that great body of water, that great, great body of water where we've seen the storms calmed and where we've seen Jesus actually walks on this water at one point in Scripture. This beautiful Sea of Galilee, you'll see the picture come up here in a second. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous area. Well, about a, day, a half a day's walk from the Sea of Galilee is this city called Sephoris, or Sephora, depending on how people want to pronounce it. But Sephoris... It's, it's about a half a day's, and it's only about an hour journey from Nazareth if you're walking. Now, this is important because Sephorus was being built during the time Jesus lived in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, Joseph was a carpenter or a stone builder. The Greek allows for both translation. Pastor Bill talked about that last week. Many scholars believe that Jesus worked on constructing this city, and it, the ruins are incredible in the city. You can tell if I could walk you down the main street. There are dozens and dozens of shops on either side. Over 35,000 people lived in this city. 35,000. It was sophisticated. There were marble streets and columns, incredible mosaics. Sephora is very, uh, very famous for the artistic expression all over that city. It was spectacular. And at the end of that city, you can find a 4,500-seat auditorium. Wouldn't that be cool? That, uh, we are, I was just in the, uh, our new facility as it's being done yesterday morning with some of our elders, and they were looking around saying, wow, they were blown away with how incredible it's going to look. But 4,500 seats, now that would be cool to be in an auditorium like that. And some people have even speculated that Jesus probably saw some actors in that time, and maybe when he used the word hypocrite, it was because he had seen actors who wore masks in Sephora when he worked there. Some of that, some of the conjecture around that. But this is a sophisticated but pagan culture. One of the unique things in Sephora is when they have the ruins of the old synagogue. And if you go into the synagogue, you'll see they incorporated astrological symbols, pagan symbols right in the synagogue. It kind of gives you a feel for the city. It was convoluted. It was distorted. It's the kind of city that had every good Jewish mom and dad worried for their children. They worried for their kids. What if, how, how in the world are we going to raise kids in this city, in this world, at this time? What if they pick up their value system? What if they turn away from their faith? It's the type of city that, that wives would have wondered if, if their husbands might grab an eye for some woman that was dressed that way. Or, or, or the husbands would be worried that the wives would get, fall in love with the upgrades that were available all the time. It's that type of city. And Sephora's got me thinking, I wonder how many people in the crowd when Jesus said, don't worry, were from Sephora's. I wonder how many of them were on the mountainside to hear Jesus say, when it came to trusting the Father with their kids. Oh, parents, you know how hard that is. Trusting, you know, it's hard 
to believe it, that God loves your kids more than you do. That God is more interested in them than you are. Isn't that shocking? Because as a parent, when you truly love your kids, you're kind of all in. Sometimes maybe even too much so. But the Father loves them perfectly, better than any of us could. And it's hard to, how do we trust them with our kids? How do we trust them with our marriages? This would have been on the minds of the people in Sephora. How do we trust them with our families? Because if they were followers of, of Yeshua, they would have been living in fear. Fear of failure. Fear that their kids won't turn out the way they expected it to. Fear that their marriage might not make it. Constantly worrying. In the crowd that day when Jesus said, do not worry, were people from that village. They would have had all those things stirring in their hearts. You know what it's like when you come on a Sunday morning and you hear worship songs and you hear some teaching, but there's something weighing on you that you can't get out from under it. And you're, all, you're here, but you're not here. You ever been there? Because your mind is going to a place where you're feeling weighed down, right? Well, they were in the crowd that day with Jesus. But there wasn't just people from Sephora, another town, and you could have seen it from the place Jesus preached the sermon, was Capernaum. And Capernaum was a place where Jesus actually lived at this time in his ministry. It was a port city. It was a city where a lot of trade happened. Well, it was a city of hard-working people. These were entrepreneurs and good, work, hard-working people. These were people that built businesses from the ground up. I mean, there was always a buzz in Capernaum. There were always deals to be made in Capernaum. There were always sales going on at Capernaum. Capernaum was constantly going and constantly running. I mean, in Capernaum, you were busy. It was a busy community. It was about 10,000 people. And during the time of Jesus, it had experienced an economic downturn. You ever hear that phrase? <laughs> Are we living that phrase right now? <laughs> and they had experienced an economic downturn. You know, they, were, they felt every new tax law. They felt it all. They, business owners and employees, would have been bracing themselves for another round of cuts. That's the kind of culture Capernaum was at that time. Uh, they, the people of Capernaum, they probably wouldn't have said that they were worried because these were tough, hardworking, good, hardworking people. They would use it pressured would be the word they would use. I just feel pressured all the time. There's a pressure that never lets up because of the demands of life. A pressure that doesn't seem to go away. A huge weight. I don't know if you're from Capernaum today. Maybe you're from Sephora. Maybe it's fear of, for your children and your marriage and fear in life. Or maybe it's the weight of Capernaum that you're feeling. It's just a pressure. Pressure to perform. Pressure to measure up. There's another uh, city and you can see it too. But it's a little further away because it's kind of on the, tucked around the other side and it's Tiberias. And this was the capital city of the region. It's where Herod Antipas, remember him from the New Testament? Herod Antipas had his palace. This was a beautiful city, gorgeously made. It was known for its spas and its hot springs. And it, it, in fact, in its 8,000 square foot homes. Wait, that'd be cool, right? 8,000 square foot homes. Tiberius uh, was all about who you knew. I mean, it was about keeping up appearances. It's who you had over to dinner. And when someone came to your house, you talked color swatches. And you, you talked about politics and the weather. And, and you lived under... Anyone looking in would have thought you had it made. Anyone who looked in, you'd say, Oh, you got an 8,000 square foot home. You got this. You got this. You got it made. 
But if you had asked them, they might say something different. They might let you know that the more you have, the more you have to hold on to. The more you have, the more you have to hold on to. They knew they had to hold on to their finances. They knew they had to keep up appearances to maintain their status in that culture and society. They had to hold on to the perfect image of a family. Boy, that's a lot of weight to bear, isn't it? To have to maintain the perfect image of a family. I mean, Tiberius was a city, and it, here's the word that could use to describe it, of control. It was about controlling your life. It was about maintaining control and not letting go. Because in Tiberias, you knew that you were the master of your fate. It all depended on you. So you tried to maintain control of your assets, your families, your relationships, and your status. You dare not let it go. And then there's a final one. I'm going to combine two cities, the fourth one. Chorazin and Bethesda. These were two cities that we don't know a lot about, actually. Now, the ruins, these are the ruins of, in Chorazin, and the rock is really dark like it is in Capernaum. It's, it's very desolate there, but there's a great synagogue uh, in that place. What we do know about Bethesda in particular is Peter and Andrew came from there. We know about Chorazin and Bethesda that most of the, or the majority of the miracles of Jesus happened in these two villages. Very incredible. They were a, they were a city or towns in need of the God to do the impossible. For some reason or another, there's a lot of brokenness, a lot of neediness in these villages. Some have been paralyzed in these cities. Some were blind, some were deaf, some were demon-possessed, some had leprosy, some had deathly illnesses, and their only hope was for a miracle. They were living under the weight of needing the impossible to happen, and they were paralyzed with fear. Hey, in this village... People knew what it was like to lay down in the bed at night and know that their wife was dying of cancer. I mean, they carried real palatable weights that everybody would be able to recognize. You know, it was overwhelming at times. In fact, you know, when people get overwhelmed, they do many things. Sometimes they, get, they embed themselves or immerse themselves in addictive lifestyles even. Because they're so overwhelmed, they can't deal with daily life that they go to those places. Maybe you're there today. I don't know, friends. You starting to get a picture, though, of who's in this crowd? You know who's in this crowd? You are. And so am I. We're all in this crowd. And Jesus is speaking to us. We've been overwhelmed, sometimes living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're feeling pressured or stressed. You sure have at some point in time, have you not? Maybe, maybe you're fear-filled or living uh, paycheck to paycheck or you're, you're feeling the weight of always having to hold on to the reins in your life and always being in control. And Jesus comes that day and he's talking to them. He's saying, listen, you're the salt of the world, children of God. You're the light of the world. You know, don't, don't put the light under a basket. It should be on a, on a hilltop for everybody to see. And as he talks about the peace of God and the plans God has for your life, he looks out and he sees the people and he sees fear and worry in their eyes. And when he sees it, he addresses it. He recognizes it. And he knows that they're still holding on. In Matthew chapter 6, 25, he says, this is why I tell you not to worry. And then he tells us what not to worry about. Listen to this. Don't worry about everyday life. Whoa. Don't worry about everyday life. 
Whether you have enough food, drink, or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, he's saying, listen, gang, I don't want you to worry about life. Not the food you're going to wear, not our food you're going to wear. <laughs> I don't know how it all works in your family. <laughs> not, but the clothes you're going to wear, the food you're going to eat, don't worry about everyday life. And, you know, I read that and I, I pause and I say, Jesus, what kind of list is that? Like, that's the big stuff. That's the essential stuff, right? When you boil it down, friends, is that not the essential stuff? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that without the food, you die without that stuff. And he says, don't worry about this. Do not worry about this. And he goes on, because it says in verse 32, I'm going to jump ahead. He says this, your father, heavenly father already knows you need them. Oh, he already knows you need them. Back up to verse 26, listen to these words, because some of us need to hear the love of the father here. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more? Everybody say far more. Far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment in your life? I, I love, I've never forgotten this quote. I think it was John Maxwell who said this. Uh, worries like a rocking chair. Gives you something to do but gets you nowhere. You know, just in the same spot. Then pick it up in the next verse there. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or, or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly, everybody say the word care, care for you. Why do you have so little faith? I love what Jesus does. He does this often when he's teaching. He kind of pulls us back to help us get perspective. Have you ever talked to someone who's worrying and you hear what they're worrying about and you realize, oh, you've lost perspective because it's not that big, right? Sometimes I've met people and they got so anxious and worked up and you have to pull them back and say, whoa, 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 there's something bigger happening here. And in this instance, Jesus does. He refers to the birds, over 10,000 species of birds globally. And he's saying this, I know where every one of them are. And I love everyone. I care for each one of them. How much more are you? He holds the universe in his hands. What you're, hold, what you're holding on to is not too big for him. But it's not just the grandeur and power of Jesus, uh, God that Jesus points to. He shows them his love. See, the Father hasn't left you out. The Father... You're not lost in the crowd with him. If, you, if you're a parent here, you know what it's like when you see a big crowd of kids on the playground, you can find yours right away. Because your eyes go and look for that one, right? Well, the father, you're not lost in the crowd with him. You're, you're not invaluable to him. You're not off his radar. And Jesus says, here's the deal. Are you not much more valuable? Will he not meet your needs? Oh, man, friends. There's only two reasons why we let worry and anxiety, uh, beyond the medical side of things, because sometimes anxiety can be a medical condition. I'm not getting into that today. I'm talking about that normal worry and anxiety in life that we experience. There's usually two reasons why we experience it. Number one, you don't really know who the Father is. You do not know how powerful He is, how incredibly 
uh, 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 what a good provider he is. Or secondly, you don't really know how he sees you. You don't know how much he loves you. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, Worry is not believing that God will get it right. Bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Worry is not believing that God will get it right. Bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. You either believe God is powerful enough, He's gracious enough for your situation, or, or it's just too complicated for Him, or, or maybe it's, you're too messy and you don't deserve God's favor. That might be part of your, your issue with, with worry and fear about trusting the Father. Or maybe it's that He's going to get it flat out wrong. Sometimes in life, we don't believe he cares enough, that he's close enough, or how about this, that he's quick enough. So we hold on. Remember a few weeks ago, we had Pastor Patty Miller speak? I don't know if you remember her. She, she did, said a profound thing in her sermon that I never forgot, and I, re, I wrote that down. She said this, we all say we depend on God, and then we live in such a way that we don't have to. We do everything to maintain control in our life that we don't have to depend on God. To meet our needs. We can meet our own needs. And in that place of dependency, in trusting God, sometimes out of fear, we hold on to things. I don't think I can trust Him. You know, it's hard to trust the Father who wrote this book when the story in our life is one of betrayal or pain or disappointment or abandonment. It's hard to trust the Father with your marriage when it looks like it's not going to make it. It's hard to trust God with your debt when it's overwhelming. It's hard to trust Him with your job when it's just too big for you. It's hard to trust God with your kids when everything you feel you're doing is not working. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean there. So we hold on. We hunker down and we begin to try to control and manipulate circumstances. We protect what we have and as a result, we do not learn to trust Him but he's a good dad. Listen to what he says in verse 33. Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Uh, Jesus says, listen, I know you're holding on to things. I know you're having trouble trusting right now, but if you would just seek me with your heart, those worries and fears would go and fall off you because you would be in a position where I can provide for you. I can provide for you. It's incredible what Jesus offers us here. That's how we gain power over worry in our life. You get focused. Sometimes worry gets power over us because we get focused on what we don't have. We get focused on the things that get us fearful. And the more we focus on them, the larger they get. This is why I love the psalmist when he says, magnify the Lord with me. Do you ever do this as a kid? Do you get a magnifying glass and you burn grass and burn things? It's never, if you're a child here, you should never do that. Forest fires start that way and everything. I'm not saying I did it, but probably some of my brothers did or stuff, and I might have been around when it happened. And you know, it's amazing. You get that magnifying glass, and it makes everything larger, but it also focuses and concentrates things at the same time. And you know, often in my life, as worry or fear grips me, I have to step back and I've got to magnify God. Remember how good, powerful, great, and loving He is. He's a father unlike the best earthly father. 
Every one of them is imperfect. And all the dads of the room said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. We're all imperfect. We all blow it. The words, I'm sorry, should fall off our lips regularly as dads. Because we're not, we're imperfect. But he, oh my goodness, friends. He's a dad that never leaves you. He doesn't desert you. He doesn't give you everything you want because he knows exactly what you need. He doesn't spoil you. He matures you. He grows you. He wants you to become the best possible version of the child of God he made you to be. Trust, though, is hard. In a few minutes, I'm going to have Pastor Bill come, and he's going to pray for needs, and he's a dad, too. Uh, He's going to pray for needs that might be represented in this room because I'm sure that there are things that some of you are worried about in life right now. I'm sure that some of you are feeling pressure in life and maybe even fear in life. Well, you know, I'm no different than you are. And I was thinking about this this year because I've been in this, this season of learning to trust God. Uh, maybe you've been in one of those seasons. And in fact, uh, it really came to a head last week and, or a week and a half ago or whatever. We had this gentleman, and I'm going to show you a picture of him, uh, to talk to our staff. And he, just a great man. I don't know how many have ever heard of a man named Robert Tatinger. Some of you would not know him at all, and you have no reason to. Some of you have been around the church world for a long time. You know exactly who he is. And I took him on a tour of, the, of our new facility because he had spoken in that facility in the 1970s for a pastor that was coming into evangel named Jack Council. Some of you might know who he was. Well, he was an interesting man. He's 87 or 88, Pastor Phil, 88 years old. He's been a pastor for 21 years. He led the movement this church is a part of. There's 1,100 churches across Canada. He led that for 14 years. And he was a Bible college president for 11 years. But when you meet him, his humility just strikes you. He never felt qualified for anything. He, ne- he just wanted to be obedient to God. Very fascinating. When he was done talking, I went home and I wrote... I keep a little journal where when something impacts me, I write it down. And I wrote down and I said, Robert Tatinger made it a habit to say yes to God. What humility. And and once I, (laughs) I hadn't even dotted the sentence, the period at the end, and I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. felt like God saying, then why are you struggling with saying yes to me? And that all, you, you ever have those moments when God calls you out? Uh, maybe there's just a few of us, but I've had those moments when God just called me out. Like, oh yeah, you can preach it, but hey, what's going on with you? You know, why, what's, what's going on in your life? Because for over a year and so, Shelly and I have been trying to wrestle with what God was speaking to us. And that was hard. I've been here for six years, part of this community. Love it. You know, it's incredible. Doesn't it feel, feel like six years? For some of you, it feels like more than six years. I know, but uh, trust me, it's been only six. And I remember the first time I spoke here in May 2009, and I said this, healthy things grow. I don't know if you remember this. This is a cycle of health. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. Change forces you to trust God. Trust leads to obedience. Obedience makes you healthy, and healthy things grow. So you know this if you've ever had a child. Healthy things grow. If they stop growing, you know what? Something's wrong. (laughs) When they grow, they change. 
when they change, you have to trust God during times of change. That's the only way you get through change, right? Change is, the only thing that doesn't change in life is God. Everything else changes. Look at my hair. I used to, I swear, I used to have a nice full head of hair. I saw a picture recently. Uh, uh, Shelly pulled it out of a box, and it was me in university. And I had this long red hair. And, uh, you know, you'd laugh at it. Now my boys laughed. They said, really, you had hair? Yes, I did. I honestly did. But healthy things, there's change. And change forces you to trust God. And then when you're forced to trust God, you have a choice to obey or not. And there's different reasons why we don't obey. Sometimes we don't obey because we plain don't want to, right? You ever been there with God? I just don't want to do what he's saying. Sometimes we don't obey because we're filled with fear and worry. Because he's calling us into something that's too much for us to carry. Well, I know that when I gathered last Sunday with the leadership team, Shelley and I resigned as the lead pastor of Evangel. And it was a step of trust for us step of obedience we have been wrestling for over a year and a half almost because uh we love you guys and we love this city and we love this church but you know when that, when robert tatinger said that and i went home and i wrote that i was impacted i felt like the holy spirit convicted me why are you resisting this and you know the only thing i could say is selfish reasons i love this city and i love this church and I know we're on the cusp of some of the best days of this church are yet to come. We turn 100 years next year. Isn't that cool? 100 years of faithful ministry at Evangel Pentecostal Church. I'm amazed with that, really. We've been meeting with a planning committee. Next year is going to be so much fun as a church family celebrating those 100 years. And we're moving into a new facility of which, you know, we've worked very hard to get to this place. But God said, uh, you know, that's for someone else. Now, we're going to be around for a couple of more months, and I'll be transitioning to pastor in Toronto. I've accepted to be the co-lead pastor of the church I had come from, which was a big step of faith, because going back is not easy for my personality. Everything in my personality has moved forward. But it was a hard conclusion to come to, and it was only the last week and a half that we knew we needed to obey God. But... You know, for some of you, if you've been through staff transitions before, you've seen lead pastors come and go, and you understand that there are seasons and moments. It's never, it's not my church, it's Christ's church, right? And you're responsible for your leadership while you lead here. And, you know, that's what I always wanted to be, faithful to this church and faithful to God. But as you transition, God has people that come and build in a whole new thing of what he wants to do. So here's the lesson for all of us in this room, because Pastor Bill's going to come in a minute. Here's the lesson. What do you need to trust God with? What do you need to trust God with? Is it fear and worry that's keeping you from trusting him? Is it, is it really willful disobedience because you don't want to? You know, in all of our lives, it's, remember, there are no experts, but we come to new seasons of surrender. I love that word, surrender, because you, people think when you surrender, you're giving something up, but what you're really doing is getting something better. So the great exchange between us and Christ is, right? Remember, we've talked about this many times in this Market Up series, is he gets our sin and we get his grace. He gets our weakness and we get his power. I mean, what a great exchange. By surrendering, you get Jesus. 
you get the fullness of this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I'll take care of the other stuff. So you got kids you're worried about? Seek first the kingdom of God. Trust your father. You have financial debt that's overwhelming you? Seek first the kingdom of God. Trust your father. You've got a physical need that just you aches in your heart? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Trust your father in heaven. You got a marriage that's not working? You got a family that's not working? You need employment? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Trust your father in heaven. Is he not good, friends? He's powerful and he's loving. And you're on his heart. He notices you. You're not lost in the crowd. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. And God, we uh, pray your right now, and I just invite you, friends, just bring your worry or your fear to God. Just invite him into it. God, I want to trust you. Maybe you want to say that. God, I want to trust you. I want you to lead me, God. And I want to trust your voice above every voice. Help me to obey you. And I pray, God, that you would be at work in those things that are concerning me. Friends, if you're in Sephora this morning and you're feeling like you're just worried for how you're raising kids in the society and culture or what your marriage is at and you're filled with fear in this moment, I just pray, just surrender them to God. God, I give you my family. I give you my marriage. I give you my spouse. If you're in Capernaum and you're so busy and it's not that even the word worry is that comes to mind, but you're just feeling constant pressure. Well, give God the things that are pressuring you now. God, I, I pray you'd lift the load. You said your yoke would be easy and your burdens would be light. Just lift the load, God. And if you're here and you're from Tiberias and you're having trouble keeping up appearances and you have a need to control things and people in your life out of fear, maybe you just need to surrender those people and things in life. God, I give you my finances. I give you my resources. I give you my family. I give you my reputation. Maybe that's the hardest thing. I give you my reputation. And if you're here and maybe you're at Chorazin or Bethesda, and you just need a, an impossible work of God or, uh, in your life. You need the power of God to be present. Just give him that illness. Give, them, give him that thing that if God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. Just surrender that to him. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring us. And thank you for carrying us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.